0: It's plus time. Welcome back everyone to the plus section and we are going to stay with the NFL and we're going to talk about the NFL considering flexing basically the last four Thursday night games of the season. The NFL is proposing this. The Thursday night games are the games on Amazon right now. The way things are set up is each team plays on Thursday night once. And it's really to get each team national exposure. Even though it's on a streaming platform, not everybody has Amazon Prime. Under this new proposal, some teams would play more than once, while other teams would not play at all. A flexed game would be announced 15 days before, so a little after a little over two weeks before the game was scheduled to start. I wanted to share a couple quotes from some NFL officials about as to why. So Brian Rolap is the NFL executive vice president and chief media and business officer. And he'll be the first one to spout some bullshit. And his quote is, we also believe that these national windows are for clubs that are playing well. I agree with that. We want to put the best teams in the best windows. Well, why are Monday night games still trash? Monday night games used to be the marquee game of the week, even when there were Sunday night games, and there were Sunday night games in the 90s. They were on ESPN, I believe. Monday night game, Monday night football uh on ABC uh, with Al Michaels, Frank Gifford, Dan Dierdorf, those were the marquee game. When Sunday Night Football went to NBC, however many years ago, that became the marquee game, and Monday Night games became the much lesser game. Big time step down, and the Thursday games became even worse than that. So if we're gonna, if, if Brian Rolap is gonna call a Thursday night game a national window, yeah, I get it. There's nothing else, no other football game on on Thursday. It is prime time, at least for the East Coast. It's what, 5.30 for the West Coast? But not everyone has Amazon Prime. More people are getting streaming services, but this is different than when it was on Fox a year or two ago. And then Commissioner Roger Goodell had this gem. There isn't anybody in in any of our organizations that doesn't put our fans first. Providing the best matchups for our fans is what we do. That's part of what our schedule has always focused on. I don't think we are putting Amazon over players' interest. We look at data with respect to injuries and impact on players. I think we have data that's very clear. It doesn't show higher injury rate. I'm sure they are looking at data, or they're lying right to our face. It may not be injuries, but how about the body recovering from the train wreck or the car wreck that is playing professional football? No NFL players, I can't say no. The vast majority of NFL players do not like playing on Thursday. Patrick Mahomes has been outspoken about it. Richard Sherman, when he was still in the league, I've heard Nick Bosa say and other players, they do not like it. You have a game Sunday. Monday, you're watching film and recovering. Most teams don't start putting in the game plan till Wednesday or Thursday, or say Wednesday. That's a travel day now. It's awful. It is such a bad decision. Now, I understand wanting to flex better games in to the Amazon Thursday night spot. I mean, hell, Al Michaels was basically saying, like, he felt like a used car salesman, and he didn't use these words, but... It was essentially polishing a turd for some of these games. And let me pull up what the schedule was last year. So week one was the uh Thursday night opener. Um I think that was what was that the Rams and the Cowboys or Rams and Bills, excuse me, where the Bills throttle the Rams. The first Amazon game was Chiefs Chargers. All right, pretty good. Week three, Brown Steelers, eh? Week four, Bengals, Dolphins. I think that's where Tua got hurt the first time, or maybe second time, one of his concussions. Week five, Colts, Broncos, terrible. Week six, Commanders, Bears, terrible. Week seven, Cardinal Saints wound up being a pretty good game, but not really much star power. Uh, week eight, Ravens, Buccaneers, okay. Week nine, Eagles, Texans, terrible. Week 10, Panthers, Falcons, terrible. Week 11, Titans, Packers, eh. Week 13, Bills, Patriots, okay. Week 14, Rams, Raiders, now as a member with Baker Mayfield, terrible. Week 15, Niners, Seahawks, okay. Week 16, Jaguars, Jets, terrible. And week 17, Cowboys, Titans, okay. It is hard from one year to the next to really accurately predict who is going to be good. And not so good. And if you are boxed into playing every team on Thursday night, you're going to have some duds. But the number of dud matchups that I just read to you was what, half or more? And the Monday night games aren't much better. Initially, just try, try to schedule better games. This proposal was tabled. From a couple days ago. It's going to come up again in the spring in May. And there are some owners. That are. Heavily against it. And who knows it's going to. If it's going to push through. Now for fans. Like the big thing that, that some of the owners are saying. Is. If you're getting tickets to a game. You're a fan. This is. You know. Usually you'll maybe book a ticket. Especially if you're traveling somewhere. A month or so Beforehand. And if your game got flexed from a Sunday to a Thursday, how how do you pivot and now go to that Thursday game? We all know the Thursday ratings are not great. Schedule better games and just suck it up. There shouldn't be Thursday games anyway. Be glad, NFL. You're getting what you're getting. And Mark Cuban, 10 years ago, Made the prediction about the NFL: pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. We live in a capitalist society, country. I am, I'm all for everybody getting as much money as they can. The way they're growing the NFL pie, I mean, they're making so much money just on regular broadcast TV rights. Amazon should be ashamed of their of themselves. For spending a billion dollars on a package that gives them one game a week, YouTube, which won the Direct TV rights for games on Sundays, out-of-market games, paid two and a half million dollars for what's essentially ten games a week, at ten games a Sunday, and that once you get into bye weeks, that number is going to fluctuate. I don't know if they're doing this to coddle Amazon because of the amount of money they spent. Not, I mean, a, mil, a billion dollars for anybody is nothing to sneeze at. But they got it. Just like Google has it for YouTube. No, NBC has it. Fox, CBS, ESPN. Nobody's Disney. No one's crying poverty here. You know where you could save money is the announcers. They don't matter. No one watches or doesn't watch a football game for an announcer, and if you're someone out there, and I know people like, you know, a lot of people don't like Joe Buck, and they say, oh, well, I'll I'll watch games, and I'll put the volume on on off, because I don't want to listen to Joe Buck. Really? I've been watching football. I mean, Mad Pat, uh, John Madden and Pat Summerall are still at the top of the mountain when it comes to announcers, at least in my lifetime. There's nothing wrong with Joe Buck. There's nothing wrong with Jim Nance. There's nothing wrong with Kevin Burkhardt, who took over the the NFL, uh, NFC duties as the number one team with Greg Olson on Fox. What you don't have to do is give, however, hundreds of millions of dollars to Tom Brady to be the color commentary in 2024. No one's going to watch NFL games more because Brady's on. No one's going to watch NFL games more because Tony Romo's on. And guess what? Romo and Brady aren't going to be on national games every week. Whatever big game is a non-national game in whatever part of the country, people are going to be watching. So Romo doesn't need $15 million a year. Brady doesn't need, I don't know what he's getting, $18 to $20 million a year. Now when you're talking $15 million a year versus a billion dollars a year for an Amazon package, that's not exactly commensurate. But the NFL prints money anyway... I don't think you have to get so greedy, and I agree with Mark Cuban. Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. The NFL isn't going anywhere. A couple weeks ago, I know I had that stat that more than 80% of the highest rated TV shows in 2022 were NFL games. I don't care that Amazon bought a, a crummy package. I just care that Amazon delivers my packages within a day or two whenever I buy shit from them. Now, let's stay on sports. Major League Baseball's opening day is today on Thursday. So I'm just going to start off with the I don't care. It's 162 games of yawn. The baseball season is way too long. and I'm going to count on my fingers like a child. April, May, June, July, August, September. Then you have playoffs in October. No, way too long. Don't care. At all. I couldn't tell you the last time. I know a lot of people out there like baseball. I'm not, I'm not knocking it or saying anything. You do you. It's boring. Couldn't tell you the last time I watched a full baseball game. Couldn't tell you the last time I watched six innings straight of a baseball game. Couldn't tell you the last time I watched three innings straight of a baseball game. What is interesting to see now for this year is baseball is implementing a pitch clock for pitchers. I know a lot of you out there know this, but for those of you that don't, so this will be the first year they test it out in the minor leagues and in um, the preseason this year. Pitchers will get 15 seconds between pitches if no one is on base, 20 seconds with a runner on base. And this shaved 26 minutes off of spring training games. Here's what's interesting to me about this. The baseball purists, also known as losers, are complaining about, you know, get off my lawn or get off my baseball field. You're changing the game. You're ruining the game. Baseball has gotten The games have gotten way too long, way too long. And it's getting back to a a time amount per game. That is what the purist losers grew up with watching and falling in love with. Maybe they've gotten so bloated on baseball that an extra 26 minutes a game is good. I don't believe in this whole baseball is dying and it's not going to survive with, you know, the new generation. Baseball's always going to be there. It's in third place out of our big four sports. NFL, NBA, baseball, then hockey. Then NASCAR or soccer made leapfrog hobby, hockey soon, if, if they haven't already, or if at least NASCAR hasn't already. But shorter games mean less commercials, less advertising, and less advertising revenue per game. That is going to impact the bottom line of Major League Baseball. I guess the hope is, will shorter games draw in more viewers so the Rate that advertisers need to pay goes up to counterbalance, or to balance, counterbalance I guess is a negative, to balance having less commercials during a game. I think I might have spoken in a circle there, but hopefully you guys follow. Something to keep an eye on, something I'm going to be curious about the first month of the season. Also, Major League Baseball is instituting bigger bases, from 15 inches per side to square to 18 inches per side. Now, when you even that out, it winds up being an inch and a half more per side of the base versus what they've had historically. And you don't have to be a baseball fan. You just have to be a female to know how much of a difference an extra inch and a half can make. Right? That that was right there. H- had to do it. It's going to be four and a half inches shorter between first and second base and second and third base. So they're anticipating they're doing this for actually two reasons, because human beings have this would make me laugh. Human beings have gotten bigger over time. And I would say yes to now versus when Napoleon was the was a general in France and the average height of people was like five, four. But apparently people have gotten bigger. Their shoes have gotten bigger. They want to avoid less collisions on bases. So an extra <laughs> an extra inch and a half around on the base, I guess, is going to matter. Okay. And an, and four and a half inches less uh, between bases is going to encourage more steals. That one I could buy a little bit more because you can see how close sometimes in, in slow motion a player is either safe or out when sliding, generally hands first into second base. So maybe that four and a half inches will matter. Ladies, again, I know an extra four and a half inches matters a lot. But I think the bigger thing too is what they're implementing for pitchers is the they can pitchers can only throw to a base if a runner's on twice. And the third time, if they don't pick the runner off and get them out, it's a balk and the runners will go to, to second base. So if I'm on first base and a, and a pitcher is thrown to me twice, I, I know... I could take maybe a bigger lead that third time because if he throws to first base and I I get back and I'm safe, I I automatically go to second on that block. This is coming off of the designated hitter rule being instituted in the National League this past year. Again, purists banging the drum against this. The American League has had it since 1973. Way Way to take almost 50 years to catch up. And then the last thing I noticed, and I noticed a lot for me not caring about baseball, but I have a podcast about, I tout timely sports and pop culture topics, so MLB opening day is today. It's very timely. Interleague play used to be something special, and it's not because I live in the Northeast and and the Mets and Yankees playing two series a year was something to look forward to or, or bragging rights type of thing. Again, I still don't watch. But why, why are we opening up the season with interleague games? Why are the San Francisco Giants at the Yankees to open the season? Why are the Phillies at the Texas Rangers? And why are the Blue Jays at the Cardinals? Other than the fact that they're two birds playing. I don't know when a good time for interleague plays. It used to be around summertime, right? Like mid to late season is when you would get all the interleague game players Inter game, interleague games played in like a batch. Which made like for a special part of the season. It's not that way anymore. And I I, I don't care when... Inter, again, I don't care about baseball. I like wiffle ball. And I'm looking forward to playing wiffle ball again sometime soon. Baseball, just, you know, not, not my thing. But I just don't know why we're beginning the season with three interleague series. Now, let's go from baseball to star Wars. Cause that's like a natural transition, right? So there was a new star Wars script being developed by Damon Lindelof of lost fame and, and other shows, watchmen on HBO and Justin Brick Gibson. It was originally supposed to be set after the rise of Skywalker. It wasn't supposed to be episode 10. It wasn't supposed to be a trilogy, just a standalone movie. Speculation again was taking place after Rise of Skywalker. They're out. They've handed in the script, and it's going to be rewritten, and I'll get into that in a second. Here's a quote I found from Damon Lindelof about, and obviously you sign NDAs, and you really can't say too much, or really uh, bad talk, you know, Disney, if you want another job with them, or Lucasfilm for that matter, but I, if, you get, if you're off one Star Wars movie, you're not coming on to another one. But here's the quote from Damon Lindelof. I will just say that for reasons that I can't get into on this Sunday morning, on this day, the degree of difficulty is extremely, extremely, extremely high. If it can't be great, it shouldn't exist. Well, then why did they make most of the sequel trilogy and solo? That's me saying it, not Damon Lindelof. Back to Damon. That's all I'll say because I have the same association with Star Wars as you do, which is it's the first movie I saw sitting in my dad's lap four years old, May of 1977. I think it's possible that sometimes when you hold something in such high reverence and esteem, you start to get in the kitchen and you just go, maybe I shouldn't be cooking. Maybe I should just be eating. We'll leave it at that. That's a nice way of saying he got shit canned off the project, it in a script. Not sure what Lucasfilm is going to do with it, but Stephen Knight apparently has been hired to write the script he has he created the show Peaky Blinders, in which he wrote all 36 episodes. He has a lot of dramatic writing experience, period pieces. So in a way, perhaps this is going to be a more adult Star Wars film than what we've gotten recently. Outside of Rogue One, the last adult Star Wars film was The Empire Strikes Back. 1980. 43 years. It's been a while. This isn't the first issue with Star Wars movies not being able to get off the ground. Rogue Squadron was supposed to be written and directed by Patty Jenkins of Wonder Woman 1 fame and Wonder Woman 2 infamy. Like I said in previous podcasts, had a big reveal. She was wearing an X-Wing fighter jumpsuit. um, Stood in front of a, I guess it was like a life-size X-Wing fighter in a video announcement of the movie, which is now scrapped. Kevin Feige, who is head of Marvel Studios at Disney, was supposed to be working on a movie. That is scrapped. Ryan Johnson, who wrote and directed The Last Jedi, which is a very polarizing movie, and also wrote and directed the um, two Knives Out movies, which I've yet to see. Not sure if that's happening. And Tiki YTT, who wrote and directed the last two Thor movies apparently, maybe, still be doing something, because, but he shouldn't, because his tone is not, to me, right for Star Wars. Now, Lucasfilm, Kathleen Kennedy, get your heads out of your asses. What's the issue here? What's the issue with Rogue Squadron? Unless you had no faith in Patty Jenkins after Wonder Woman 84, what's the problem? There are... A bunch of novels that I know now are considered legends, they're not canon, that were titled Rogue Squadron. A lot of source material to pull from. You don't have to copy it, and of course, I don't know, there's six, seven, eight, nine books, maybe more. I haven't read them. I want to, or maybe listen to them via audiobook. I've heard a lot of good things about them. There's a lot to pull from. How can you not get your shit together and pull together a script whether it's loosely, moderately, or heavily based on one of the books, the first book, or the spirit of the books. The issue is you guys boxed yourself in with a bad sequel trilogy where you killed off, well, you killed off Luke, you killed off Han, spoiler alert for anyone that didn't see the the sequel trilogies. Unfortunately, Carrie Fisher obviously died. Killing off characters in the script is the weakest way to get rid of characters. There are other ways that it could have been handled. Just because Harrison... And listen, Harrison Ford wanted Han Solo to get killed off Return of the Jedi. They didn't do that. He might have... One of the stipulations of him coming back to do The Force Awakens was, You gotta kill me off. I'm in my 70s. I don't want to do this anymore. And it wound up being some sort of an emotional trigger for Kylo Ren and and Ray and and other people when Han Solo was killed. But there's other ways you can do it. Just because Han Solo was alive or Luke Skywalker is alive or they found a way to keep Princess Leia alive doesn't mean you have to use them again. Or it doesn't mean the expectation is we're going to see more movies with them. It was weak and they they boxed themselves into this sequel trilogy where They can't do anything movie-wise before The Force Awakens, so meaning between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, because now the TV shows are exploring that, which is fine, but we're not getting any Luke Skywalker kicking ass on the big screen. And then afterwards, you have Rey, Skywalker, no other Jedi, no original trilogy characters, except for the droids and, I guess, Lando Calrissian. So who's going to care? Who's going to care? I mean, yes, you can print money. Even a bad Star Wars movie outside of Solo, that was an unnecessary Star Wars movie. A bad Star Wars movie, meaning Rise of Skywalker, will still make a billion dollars. So it, the the pressure that... I, I can understand the pressure. Well, not that I've written a Star Wars screenplay, but I can imagine the pressure that Damon Lindelof was, was, in, uh, was uh, under feeling like he had to write the perfect... Star Wars movie or a high, high quality movie coming off of the sequel trilogy and coming off of what the TV shows are doing, which there's variety. I think Mandalorian is good to very good at times. I thought Andor was excellent. I thought Obi-Wan was okay to above average at times. I thought the Clone Wars animated show was very good. Rebels animated show was very good. Bad Batch animated show was very good. It varies, and it's just my opinion, an N of one person. But there's, and I'm going to go into this on another podcast because it's just, I don't want to dive into it too much here. There's so much that they can dive into in novels and comic books from the 90s to 2012 when Disney made the acquisition of Lucasfilm and said all the, the books and comic books that came before don't count. They're not canon. So much they could pull from for inspiration, for characters, for stories that they just didn't and still seem to refuse to looking at Rogue Squadron that got squashed. I'm going to devote either another podcast or half of a podcast to not to fixing Star Wars, but I just want to share with folks out there what has come before. Because a lot of you out there are not as big of a geek as me, have not read the vast majority of books that were out from like 91 to 2012. A bunch of the comic books that I read. And it's just a lot of stuff that's better than what we've seen on, on film. It's not a Sour's Grapes thing. It's just a, hey, Star Wars content for a podcast that I think you guys might find interesting. Now we are going to stay on the Star Wars topic because I found, I found two things. The first one is kind of interesting. The second one is ridiculous. So the first one is I found that Mark Hamill play Luke Skywalker, of course, is using his voice in support of Ukraine. And it is for an app called air alert, which is a downloadable app that's linked to Ukraine's air defense system because, oh, by the way, they're still have a war against Russia. And just, you know, I know it's not cool to, um, have this on the news anymore because people are tired of of hearing it, but it's a human interest, human drama, human fatality story that still matters a lot. What Hamill is doing is he's lending his voice to, when you download this app, you can either choose the Ukraine's natural voice alert, in which I guess a human in Ukrainian will, will tell you that an alert is coming. Or you can hear Mark Hamill in English say, attention, air raid alert, proceed to the nearest shelter. Don't be careless. Your overconfidence is your weakness, which is a line that Luke said to the Emperor in Return of the Jedi. Then when the dangers, you know, pass... Mark Hamill says via the app, the air alert is over, and he signs off with, may the force be with you. Now, I had some, not that I thought this was a joke when I read it, I had some mixed feelings of, you know, this is supporting Ukraine, is it taking it seriously enough? You know, your overconfidence is your weakness, may the force be with you, which is obviously a well-wish, but it, it feels like a weird mix of support And sci-fi stuff that, fantasy, it's not sci-fi, fantasy stuff that maybe shouldn't be mixed together. But then reading the article more, people in Ukraine are finding it uplifting. They're finding it a way to help with their English. Star Wars is a global brand. And they'd they'd rather hear somebody, even though it's an actor, give them some sort of confidence or a, a different feeling that's not fear when the air raid goes off. And in case no one here knows that I'm sure no one knows this listening in Russia's first year of invasion, and we're we're over a year now, unfortunately to Ukraine, air raid alarms sounded more than 19,000 times across the country. And this app, even before Mark Hamill lending his voice, has been downloaded more than 14 million times. So listen, if this is something that helps people, that helps people download the app to get an alert to to potentially save their lives, I'm all for it. Just something that I wanted to share. And now the ridiculous thing is there is a burlesque parody in New York City opening up in May called the Empire Strips Back now. It's not a strip show. It's a burlesque show, which I've been to strip clubs. <laughs> it's it's in the title, strip club. Haven't been to a burlesque show, but it's not fully nude. So anybody that's chomping at the bit to go, just temper your expectations. Here's the description from the website: Sultry stormtroopers, a dangerously enticing Bubba Fett, and a ladylike Skywalker are just a few of the surprises awaiting in a stunning intergalactic show where the Force is strong and the allure is even stronger. Reading the reviews on the website, like, it's a parody, it's a comedy. You're going to have women in different... You just go on the... Like, search The Empire Strips Back. You know, maybe you don't search it on your work computer, even though it's nothing bad. Check it out on your phone. The reviews are funny. You know, I guess this is a traveling type of show. People are enjoying it. It's humorous. You know, am I going? No, it's nothing that I'm embarrassed about. I can't believe this is existing, but there's a fan for everything. And I guess when you think about now, this I'm imagining, you know, if it's a burlesque show, this is all women dressed up like Star Wars characters, but showing skin dancing. I guess there's a story. If it's funny, they have to be saying or doing something. But if we want to roll into the stereotype of, you know, sci-fi fantasy fans being dorks and needing help getting laid or whatever, like, then you have a built-in audience here, right? So for those of you that are interested or just curious, begins May 10th at the Orpheum Theater in New York City. It's 90 minutes, no intermission, and you need to be at least 18 years old to enter. So now from Star Wars to some other fancy, I wanted to give a review of a show that I am very fond of and I think very highly of, and other people do too, even though it came out two years ago, and that's Arcane League of Legends, an animated show on Netflix. Nine episodes long. It's based on the League of Legends video game series, which I have never played. I know nothing about. I still haven't played it as much as I love the show. I still don't know that much about it. This is a phenomenally animated show. It has an incredible story, great voice actors. The emotion that they convey in animated characters is beyond anything that I've ever seen. And here's a brief synopsis of the story. It it centers, you know between tensions between two, town, two towns, the rich city of Piltover and the seedy undertown of zaun And in Piltover, scientists create a way for any person to control magic, while in the town of zaun a drug called Shimmer is developed, which transforms people into monsters, and tensions are building for these two towns to go to war. That's like the macro-overarching story. The... Episode-to-episode story follows the main character, Vi, who's voiced by Haley Steinfeld. Essentially, I'm boiling this down to a sentence. She's trying to reconnect with her younger sister, Powder, who she loses over a course of years. Because um, Vi gets put into jail for something that she does. And when she's released, she's trying to help the authorities, but also wants to find her sister, Powder, who mentally has snapped based on all the violence that, that she's experienced um, in her life from being like, you know, 12 or 13 years old to maybe a you know, 17, 18 year old. Now the song enemy by imagine dragons that was big a year or two ago is the introductory song to this show. And the animated music video that imagine dragons has is features animated characters from the show Arcane. It, they borrow footage from the show, but there's also even new even footage of the band Imagine Dragons animated in the style of Arcane singing their song. You know, ratings-wise, this has gotten a 9 out of a 10 on internetmoviedatabase.com, on Rotten Tomatoes, 100% critic score and a 96% audience score. That is unbelievable, especially with critics, because there are people out there looking to shit on stuff. Killjoys, contrarians, people that are just looking to crap on something. It's won four primetime Emmys, including Outstanding Animated Program, and most importantly of all, people that are devoted to the video game, the gamers, the people that have been playing the game for a decade or more. Love this show. That, you know, that says, you know, that I've never played the game. The fact that I went in into this blind and absolutely loved it is one thing. I know a lot of other people did too. The hardest critic is going to be the fanboy and fangirl. And I honestly when I I've watched this series multiple times. It's 9 episodes. Each episode's about 40 minutes. It is hard to find someone, and I've been on message boards, Reddit, other websites, IMDB, Rotten Tomatoes, reading views. It is hard to find a bad thing said about this show. And for the people that have in their heads what these characters should be, playing as them for a decade or more. I'm not even sure when when League of Legends came out, and it's a PC game, a computer game. They had, I'm, I'm sure, stories in their head about any of these characters that are part of the show, and they love it. Kudos to the developers of this show. I that's, and you can tell that this show, in a way, was a labor of love, and what they poured into this, knowing the fan base. Now, League of Legends, it's not a fan base like Harry Potter. It's not Star Wars, Star Trek, The Matrix, Avatar, but it's got a strong following, and these people love it. Now, season one took six years to make, but season two will not take that long to be released on Netflix. It may be coming in 2023, late 2023, or sometime in 2024. If you're out there and you can look past the fact that it's animated, this is an adult show. This is, kids can watch it. There is some light cursing. There is violence, but it's animated violence. So again, it, it it's like video game violence. If you have any interest, if I've piqued your interest in any way, go on Netflix, watch the trailer, go online, watch the trailer, watch the watch the 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 video, the music video for Imagine Dragons. This is really good stuff. It may not be your cup of tea, and if you watch an episode or two and you're like, "You know what? Not my thing. You lost you know forty minutes or an hour and twenty minutes. But you also may like it, and you also may have nine episodes of something that you you can really get into. And last but not least, transitioning from TV to comic books, I finished the 17th compiled edition of the comic book series Astro City, which also I highly, highly recommend. Now, 17 you know, hardcover or or, or paperback compilations. It's a lot to it's a lot to read. And it took me a while to get through because I've been reading and watching and listening to other stuff in between. But this comic book series is written by Kurt Busick, highly acclaimed comic book writer. And drawn beautifully by Brent Anderson. It ran from 1995 to 2018. And what this is, is a really grounded look at superheroes, sometimes through the lens of everyday people in this city called Astra City. And by everyday people, I mean, you know, there were stories that detailed the life of an assistant to a sorcerer and what she had to deal with the head of a support group for people who lost people during battles between heroes and villains in Astro City or were just traumatized by the things that they saw. And a lot of the stuff also is hero-focused um, as well. And the heroes in this story, and I'm only going to list you know a handful of them, they are in ways equivalent to many of the archetypes that we've come to really know as household names, mainly from DC Comics. So there's the Superman equivalent called Samaritan, who also is a journalist. There's a sort of Batman equivalent called the Confessor, like he's their darkest hero or anti-hero, kind of like Batman is for DC. A Captain America equivalent called the Silver Agent, and they've tracked his... Exploits from like the 50s and 60s, 60s um, around the time when Captain America um, came to action in Marvel, even though that was a little bit earlier, it was World War One. Winged Victory is the Wonder Woman equivalent, and they have teams, much like Marvel and DC do. Honor Guard is their big team. You can think about the Justice League or the Avengers as the equivalent there. And then a team called the First Family, which consists of four people and kind of similar to the Fantastic Four Um, for Marvel. Like I mentioned, it it ended in 2018. It's being revived at image comics. The first episode, uh, the first compiled edition is called life in the big city. It follows, it it gets you to understand Astro city. It follows Samaritan as the first, uh, hero that you're introduced to. And the next compiled edition follows, um, the confessor character the batman character if you're into comic books at all um wanting to looking for something to read into you know a, a lot of people aren't into individual comic books per se but they are into trade paperbacks because they it gives you you know four five six seven individual comic books at a time to read uh i would check this out they are inexpensive to find on ebay on amazon and it's Really well done. It, again, it gives you the flavor of superheroes. But if, you know, cosmic superhero people in spandex uniform thing isn't your thing, it is still grounded. And it follows, you know, the every man, the every woman as if you were living in this town. What what would the impact be on your daily life if superheroes were real? Really, really good stuff. So that concludes the podcast. For today, at least, the plus section. For those that listened Tuesday and came back, again, thank you for the double dip. If you just listened once, thank you also. You'll notice I combined the plus section into the um, Monday 49ers portion, and I noticed, I think this just might be easier for some people, that when I'm posting on social media something yesterday on Wednesday, uh, 49er-related, but they don't get to it today, when I separated the podcast's from 49ers and plus section, they may go, people may go to Apple, or Audible, or Spotify, and play the episode, which they're thinking is 49er talk, but it winds up being plus section talk. So I'm going to keep, I think, everything combined, and when I post on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, where else? Instagram. uh, I'm going to note that, you know, the time mark that the plus section starts. So, for anybody that listened again on, on Monday that want to listen again, you'll there will be a clear time stamp in the social uh, commentary for when the plus section begins. So, again, thank you for listening. Enjoy the beginning of Major League Baseball. I will be doing something different, anything different. I haven't decided what yet, but it will not be watching baseball. But enjoy it. Final Four on Saturday. Championship game on Monday. We will talk before then. Uh, actually, it, the next uh, 49er section will either be Monday, Tuesday, or possibly Wednesday. I know those of you that subscribe and thank you for those you that do. You will get the notification when the episode drops. It just might not be on Monday. I just need to see. But again, have a safe, happy, and healthy next couple days. Enjoy all the sports that are on and anything else. And we will talk soon. Take care.